0: Welcome to The Learning Zone, the podcast that takes learning seriously, but not itself. We create the space to unlock human potential
1: with an understanding of science, leadership development, and practical experience. Individuals, leaders, and organizations are facing unprecedented levels of change. So how are we growing, learning, and improving at the pace of it? We are Robin Rob and Rob.
0: Hello and welcome to episode five, to our listeners and to my co-host Rob Pierce. It has definitely been a wild ride in the last five weeks, doing five episodes, one a week. Uh, And I'm surprised not only by our ability to do it, uh, but also by the uptake. Our Instagram account has grown exponentially uh, and I also feel quite old for a youngster uh, feeling out of touch with Instagram and why we even need an Instagram account. Uh, But also our LinkedIn has really blown up as well. Um, It's really been an interesting uh, few weeks in the growth of the Learning Zone podcast, I must say.
1: For sure, Rob. Um, It's quite uh, fun and interesting in the sense that we're trialing new things, trying to do things a a bit differently than what we've done in the past and as you can see now for those of you who listen to us over youtube um, and prefer the video format of our podcast we've got some new podcasting mics which are, are quite fun and whilst we're recording this we're still getting accustomed to using the different uh forms of technology Streamyard. while this is going live we're also um you know trying to figure out how um we record the audio separately versus um the actual video streaming piece too so all new, all exciting, and um, we're hoping that the, the first four episodes were um, insightful and gave you some some food for thought, and that you're starting to apply some of those habits.
0: Definitely, and I think what's been so interesting is actually the learning that we've had in actually making a podcast. Neither of us are podcast experts, we're podcast listeners, that's <laughs> for sure. We are not technology experts, we're not Social media experts, uh, maybe social media consumers, if that can be an expert level. Uh, and unfortunately, I must out my co host at this point to also say he does have the techno- technology age of a 50 year old. Um, so that has been an interesting dynamic of getting this right uh, in our partnership. Luckily, luckily, he brings a lot more to the table uh, besides besides his uh, difficulty with technology. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but besides that, it has been uh, a wild ride and a lot of learning on many fronts.
1: Maybe um, based on our topic today, which we'll get into, that could be a bias on your end, Rob. Um- I'd uh, attest to the fact that I think I've improved dramatically with technology. But as we say, there's always room for improvement. And uh, with effort, focus, and some curiosity, maybe you can lend a helping hand and and get me to where I need to be. Thank goodness you're running all of this. (laughs) (laughs) And StreamYard's being recorded seamlessly. And you've done all the editing and formatting. And uh, we'll take it from there.
0: Definitely, Rob. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm only joking and um, it's, it's definitely been a part of the fun and part of the banter as well. Um, it, technology can be frustrating at times, but it also can be a real blessing when you get it right. And, you know, a, as I say that, you know, Rob may have the techno- technology competence of a 50-year-old. That's definitely a stereotype, perhaps a bias. And that, funnily enough, is actually what we, what we want to talk about today. Uh, we really want to dig into the topic of bias and what that really means and why it's so important. Um, Rob, before we get into some of the science, some of the practical experience, some of the stuff that we bring in the learning zone, why should we care about bias? Why is it so important?
1: Bias is hugely important. I think we've been fortunate enough, obviously, to work for the Neuroleadership Institute Africa, and um, we're exposed to the latest research around what happens in the brain when it makes decisions. And we ourselves have been found wanting in so many ways in the way that we make decisions. And, uh, you know, we often laugh at each other around how biased certain decisions are that we've made. And, uh, it's interesting is that, you know, we're making in, in, in excess of 20,000 decisions a day. Some obviously much more important than others. Um, some more lower stakes than others. But typically, those decisions um have had have either positive impact or adverse impact on the things that we make decisions on, so decision making is vitally important. I think in this tumultuous world that we're living in that you know the decisions that are made now within organizations that individuals make um, and that you make within teams can have long standing impact um in what you do going forward, so you know really. We want to talk about bias because we are unconsciously making thousands of decisions a day, and are those those decisions serving us um, as we would like, or are they in our best interests? Rob,
0: as you're saying that, I'm dying to ask you on the spot: what was the most significant decision you made today, and what was the most insignificant?
1: Sure. So that's that's putting me on the spot. Um, the most uh, significant decision I made today was the recruitment and selection potentially of someone um, who could help uh, grow our search engine optimization on our website and that's a critical part of the growth of our business and we obviously wanted someone who has deep-rooted expertise and can get us to the level we'd like as quickly as possible but the most unimportant or really trivial decision I made was probably what I was gonna eat for lunch And uh, (laughs) I don't know. Or even maybe this morning was probably what I was going to wear because in this virtual world of facilitation and this virtual world of delivery that we work in, I'm pretty much wearing jeans, a T-shirt, and and maybe a collared shirt or blazer if I'm I'm delivering work to a client. But those are pretty trivial, I would say, in the broader scheme of things. And there's definitely not just a handful,
0: there's even more uh, that that we go through on a daily basis, some more important than others. For those that are on the YouTube channel right now, you will be noticing that I'm wearing a vintage Liverpool jersey, so that was my choice today. Um, But I must be honest, I was a lot less mindful of that choice versus a bigger choice like recruiting and selecting a vendor. Um, And I think that's really at the heart of the challenge around bias because bias affects decisions that are made consciously and unconsciously. And the biggest thing about decision-making is that we have a limited capacity to make decisions in a day. That's why our brain actually hardwires our decision-making to free up our cognitive capacity for the things that matter, making the big decisions. So the small decisions, we're not even mindful of them. We're not even wasting our limited cognitive, cognitive capacity on them. That's also why uh, some greats like Mark Zuckerberg and Barack Obama only have two outfit choices in their wardrobe at any one time. They don't want to waste complex decision-making power, which they know is finite, on choosing what to wear. They'd rather uh, they'd rather reserve that decision-making on you know which country to send a nuke to, or um, which social media platform to buy up. And that's really um, a, a big part of how bias works. So we understand now that decision-making is finite, our capacity to make decisions, we make thousands a day. So where does bias fall in? Well, bias, understood from a scientific perspective, is a mental shortcut that helps us to make decisions. It's largely unconscious and it's helpful. It helps divert precious cognitive capacity into making decisions unconsciously so that our, our limited capacity can go to the decisions that matter. And if you think about some of the decisions you've made today, what you ate, what you chose to wear, um if you if you were going to decide, should I drive to work, should I walk to work, uh, and that's also if you're walking to your bedroom or not, um whether you are standing or sitting. And for those of you that are listening to the podcast now, you know, are you really conscious of what you're doing right now, or are you unconsciously just going through the motions? That's an example of how bias is managing our cognitive capacity. It's the reason why you can um why you can talk on the phone while you're driving. And it's also the reason um, why you can listen to a webinar or this podcast while attending to your emails. Bias is what helps us create mental shortcuts for cognitive capacity, and it's helpful except when it's not.
1: It's brilliant, Rob. I love the scientific angle uh, into bias, um, and the fact that I think you mentioned it—that biases um, are quite an, a misnomer and an anomaly because biases actually, when we think about them, we further hardwire them. They become ingrained and entrenched in those neural pathways that we speak of. But um, you, you've spoken a lot around, you know, what neuroscientists and neurologists speak around, which is the heuristics. Which I find quite fascinating in many in many ways because um, heuristics is basically a a mental shortcut that allows people to solve problems um, and make judgments quickly and efficiently. And we mentioned in a previous episode that our brain has two major functions: one is to keep us safe and alive and uh, mitigate the threats in our immediate context, and the second is to manage the cognitive load that plays out. And so. 80 to 90% of the time we are functioning essentially on autopilot and our brains trying to set up and create space for what it deems are more important decisions. And as you just said, which is so great is that you need to be conscious of catching yourself when you could be making a decision that has far reaching implications.
0: And I think that's so important because we've, we've essentially put that if you have a brain, you have bias. And I think that's a very important distinction to make um, in, this, in, in, in the wider field of this topic, because we often say that we have a bias towards bias. No one who assumes themselves to be a good person would say that they are you know, biased, right? Because bias means that you're, you know, has connotations like discrimination and harassment and, and all these things that make headlines. But understanding bias from a scientific perspective really changes the script on that it really brings home the point that bias serves us. It helps us conserve cognitive capacity, and it helps us, for example, when choosing a place have, to have lunch. Um, I know that you chose your lunch today um, from, from a certain place. Uh, I have a huge bias towards Mexican food and a preference for that, um, and I'll let that, let that be known. And it's okay if I swear a decision towards that. However, if I have a bias towards choosing, let's say to your example of the SEO vendor for search engine optimization and happens to be my brother's best friend and it's his first gig out of Varsity, maybe being biased towards that or favoring that mental shortcut uh, would would have some bad consequences. And that's really the point around bias is to understand you can't eliminate it. It's a biological functioning of the brain that helps you make decisions but it can get in the way of the big ones, and the first step in bias is to realize which decisions are the big ones,
1: and is bias playing out? Yeah, but it's it's such a it's such an, an it's an interesting piece, Rob, in so many ways. But maybe when we talk about the science of bias, we should talk about the 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 amount of biases that can play out. One thing that I've always found fascinating with our work in the New Leadership Institute is that there are over one hundred and fifty classifications of bias. And we can't consciously catch ourselves being biased, so we go through the day making decisions and not really thinking through what this actually means like if I make this decision because i'm I'm looking at a certain outcome, what could I do to make sure that my decisions are optimal, and particularly in business, not just the people decisions but decisions that impact business outcomes and you know when we when we work with a number of our organizations that we've partnered with um a number of decisions that have you know, been evaluated and scrutinized, when they look back on them, they go, how did that decision ever come about? And it's great to, to have hindsight and, 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 and to look at it reflexively. But more often than not, many organizations talk about the regrets around some of those big decisions they made. And when we talk about how they could overcome those instances and be aware of the biases playing out when they get to those outcomes or those decisions – they go. Oh, it sounds so obvious now, but we were just moving swiftly ahead to get to what was then a priority. It,
0: it's such a great example because I think there's that saying, "Hindsight is 2020. Yeah. Um twenty." I'm not sure exactly of the explanation of that, but twenty twenty vision is perfect vision. So I guess looking back, you always have perfect vision, yeah. right? You, you can. There's no blind spots. Should should we say? There's no blind spots when you look backwards, um, and wouldn't you rather that be the case every time you make a decision rather than looking back and spotting the blind spots and and that's really why bias has become at, at the forefront of a lot of corporate leaders right now entrepreneurs and people that want to make better decisions every day to unlock human potential and that's really what we what we're doing in this podcast and what the learning zone is about is to create that space to start practicing spotting bias in decision making and spotting it perhaps in what you choose to wear, what where you choose to go to lunch. And when you start getting into that practice of experimentation of spotting bias in yourself and others, you'll be able to identify it when it matters and when you need it most. At this point, we've understood that bias is not a word to be scared of, to be taboo of. If you have a brain, you have bias. Um, the, the work that we've done with the Neuroleadership Institute has really brought that home for a lot of our corporate clients. And it's also a reason why people love the work that we do. Uh, when we do unconscious bias training, um, almost every delegate of, of many sessions have said, you know, it's the first bias training I do where I don't feel bad walking out of it. I kind of understand better that computer between the ears and I, I know what to do about it. I know which mental shortcuts are helpful and which are getting in the way. Um, and the next part to that equation is to understand which ones are playing out where. In the time that we have in this forum as well, we shoot these episodes in one take. We don't have the time to get into all 150 or even the five broad categories that uh, the Neuroleadership Institute has identified. But we can talk about some examples that I think a lot of people can relate to uh, right now in this context.
1: Great, Rob, and, and, I, and I would love to share some stories because I think, you know, when when we think about what's happened over the last year and the fact that we've been so performance driven and outcome focused around making sure that we can get through and weather the storm and our business can come out the other side better for it. But what that's lent itself to is being very execution and task focused and delivering on the essential things. And I think by, by inference then, we are making more biased decisions and trying to be expedient in making decisions. So, you know, for me, you know, I'm I'm quite an A type individual. If I have ten tasks, I come into your office and say, What are you prioritizing? I've got to do these ten things. How do we morph the things we've got to do together and get them down the, you know, down to almost every hour yeah, of the I'd hour. Yeah. I drive you mad, but um we can look through that and, and still be friends at the end of the day. Or maybe that's just my bias. Maybe you hate me and you tell your you tell Ash, your girlfriend at home, what a what a drama queen I am. That's a blind spot. <laughs> It's a blind spot. Yeah, show. exactly. But I think the point is, is that um, my two biggest biases that play out are definitely expedience bias, um, which is, is a big driver for me. It's around, you know, uh, moving things swiftly along and, um, and wanting to draw them to or bring them to completion. And typically what's happened is when I've, when I've made expedient decisions is that I haven't often painted the complete picture. Um, and I haven't maybe evaluated all the information that's at my disposal and thought through the implications of, of that, particularly in high stakes examples. And the second, um, example where my bias plays out a lot is my experience bias. Um, and that's because, you know, being in consulting for over 10 or 12, what's it, almost 12 years now, um, I feel like I have a a decent gauge and a decent understanding of, you know, the things I've done in the past. And typically I use my experience to inform my decision. And more often than not, um, that experience is just my lens of the world. and It's not often the right way. And I should more often than not be taking on other people's perspectives. Um, Because typically experience bias happens anytime we fail to appreciate the way we see things um, in our lens rather than the way they actually are. And I think, those two are, are examples, but I mean, what would be interesting to hear your perspective? What biases typically play out in yours, and where do you have some stories?
0: Yeah, I, I have that great story that we were talking about a bit earlier in the week that I'll I'll get to, but I'll I'll just also comment on um what you were saying there around um around uh, experience biases. We often see the world as we are, not as it is, um and you know there's there's a lot of things around being positive, being grateful and you know and receiving gratitude because you because you see it and people that are more risk averse people that are more um, you know um, averse to positivity are not going to see the positivity in things as well and that's something worth um, really really worth highlighting as well is we see the world as it is and you always want to sense check is my perception of reality accurate would another person say the same thing about this decision so the, the, the example I want to give is, uh, is a very interesting one. It's very close to our, our team and, and and my heart as well. And it actually came when we were developing our website uh, about a year ago. So at that stage, we had hired um, what what was a, a marketing intern, first real job. He's now one of our staff performers in our marketing team. But at that that time, it was a bit green around the years. Um, first role, still learning a lot, um, you know, business writing, still improving. Um, but a really great asset on the team and one of the best uh, learners we've ever had. I wish I uh, was like him at, at his age. I think we all do. Um, but when we were looking at providers to redesign our website, I went through a process, right? Uh, almost like a tender process to write the specs, get different providers. And I got the one, the guy that did the website previously. I got the, another person that was recommended and one more in the mix to kind of write it off. And then he said to me, uh, this this young marketing intern, he's like, well, I, I once did some vacation work at Clover and uh, there was this marketing company we used that did the TV commercials for Clover. They would be good for the website. And I'm busy, I'm rushed. I do a lot of things in the business besides brand and strategy and actually the science of the business. And I was like, we don't have time for this, honesty. And in my mind, if I'm being honest, I was like, what do you know? You've been exposed to work for about a minute. You think this TV company, who's a digital agency, which whoever is a digital agency, is going to work? And then a week a week passes, and he says to me, Rob, should should I reach out to them? I know you said no. Should I reach out to them? And he is tenacious. I give him that. That's why we've kept him on, and he's been doing so well. And I said, you know what, Rob, to myself, is bias playing out here? And when I looked at it, it definitely was. Um, I had my experience of the world. Um, I also discounted. Uh, his experience and the opportunity that was there as well. Um, It comes from another saying where people say, don't not like an idea because you don't like the source of it. And I thought, maybe there's a blind spot here. Maybe there's some bias playing out and maybe my first gut reaction is not accurate. So I said, what the hell, let's get the provider in. We went to tender and in the end, that provider won they developed uh, our best website yet for the Neuroleadership Institute here in South Africa. And it was a huge blind spot that we were actively able to mitigate in my own personal biases. And the real story out of that, I think that, that, that really brings it home if you start talking about takeaways, is really to sense check your first thought that goes in the head when you're making, uh, when you, when, when you're making a decision. Is bias playing out? Do you need a, a different perspective? or are you just taking the first answer in the top mental filing cabinet drawer? You know, another another great way to that I always test this is I I ask my partner at home, I ask her for her opinion. She has no experience of leadership development, uh, which always becomes an interesting conversation, but then she also has none of the biases that I do. And it's so enlightening to talk to other people outside of your context and industry and get their perspective, especially when making a big decision. So I think, if i if i want to leave the audience with something that they can start practicing with it's really to really send it's really to ask them to sense check are you trusting your gut are you only going with your gut as your first thought um and how are you involving other people's decision making into the into the decisions that matter the most for you those are some of the things i've been working on i think that really relate to some uh to to that story as well. Rob, I know you wanted to mention a little bit more around bias or perhaps some of the experimenting. Um, what's, what's top of mind?
1: yeah I love those two examples, Rob. I think uh, bringing in different perspectives and trying to, as you mentioned earlier, experiment in the smaller stakes decisions you make and catch where your biases maybe don 't serve you is are two great tips. The one thing that i um I found really interesting through a program we used to run um two or three years ago, which worked which focused intently on decision making. Was a book uh, that's really, really insightful around decision making. It's called Descartes' Era, and it it speaks to some of the research around the importance of also acknowledging emotions when you make decisions. And I don't, I don't want to go down it for too long because um, there's a lot to that book. But essentially, Descartes would um, proclaim that I think, therefore, I am, and he was he was a you know a thought leader around the fact that. What he had been exposed to in his research suggested that um, our brains uh, have our emotions have no impact, should I say, on the decisions we make from a from a neurological standpoint. And what came out through later research, through one of the world's leading neurologists, a guy called Antonio Damasio, was that he found and disproved that that era, what is called now in the book Descartes' era, that emotions have a vital role to play in decision making, and that they are interrelated and and interdependent and I know when I'm emotionally riled or I am I have emotions playing out that I'm more inclined to make a biased decision. And we spoke about in one of our previous episodes that when the brain's under tremendous threat and whatever that threat may be, your brain becomes a hotbed for bias. And I think that's key to make mention of is when you're trying to figure out how you mitigate biases when they don't serve you is is try to acknowledge what emotions are playing out with you and maybe pushing you to make more of a biased decision. Um, because I, I think that's one of my tips is I'm I'm quite a I'm an emotionally volatile guy. I can, you know, I can be, you know, gung ho and happy and, and jovial. And in the next minute I think you know, I can get really down and be frustrated and angered quite quickly. And that's when um I need to be cognizant of not necessarily making um high stakes decisions or as we've said, um, acknowledging different viewpoints. And and there's so much research around what happens in the brain, your your prefrontal cortex. When, um, when making decisions, and um, and how you make optimal decisions, and making sure that sometimes your emotion does enable you to make a better decision, but you need to be conscious of the emotions playing out. So sure, I, th- I think, yeah, and you
0: know, this this topic is so big that we can have a series of of, of episodes just on it. But the role of emotions is so powerful. Uh, I mean, with regards to the global pandemic, uh, there were a lot of people that were with an override of emotions over a sustained period of time. People were talking about pandemic fatigue or brain fog. And essentially, our brain is more likely to make more biased decisions, more cognitively easy decisions, or more mental shortcuts when you're emotional. When you're emotional, you don't have access to your best thinking. That's why you make these rash decisions. That's why you make the most obvious choice, the most playing to similarity bias, experience bias, safety bias, all these biases that play out become a hotbed when we feel emotional. And we have to understand the role of emotions in it and that some ways emotions can override our decision making, but in other ways they can inform it as well because emotions are not just something that becomes us. We become emotional. Emotions are also directives. They are responses to something, a stimulus. It's a real example of the mind-body connection. and I, I think you know, that also was another topic we can get to in a while. but one of the big things and we, and we talked about it earlier is that when you are feeling emotional, when you are you know you get that tough mail from the boss and you open up outlook and you're like, "Well, now they're going to have it. So let me get into this one. Sure, type it out, do your stuff, but then sleep on it. Sleep on and see how you feel the next day. Uh, and it's almost like two different people wrote those mails and on the one that you eventually send off once you've slept on it as well. Um, and, and another great way, another real superpower to start doing that is when you have a very tough decision, try and see if you can break the decision up into chunks. Do we have to decide everything today? Or can you create spacing between the decisions or separate smaller decisions in the big one as well? That's another real great example to try and create that space because looming deadlines always create the emotions around that are going to lead to more biased uh, decision making as well.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think it's it's. I think we should make reference and link back to our previous episode, which was episode four on uh, innovation as a as a future power skill. Um, and we spoke about in that episode some of the power skills that are are most kind of revered and most desired right now in organisations is innovation. And critical thinking and I think decision making and mitigating bias when it doesn't serve you links closely to critical thinking so to our listeners if you haven't listened to episode four there's a we've tried to link them up there's some level of coherence and synergy between the two but be conscious as those tips that Rob's mentioned um and and really focus intently on on how you how you manage those biases where they don't necessarily serve you and I think in conclusion, I mean, that's, that's really what the
0: learning zone is about. Trying to create those practical tips that we can use every day in the low stakes environments so that when we get to the high stakes environments, we can perform at our best. As always, I've been Rob, joined by Rob. Thank you for listening to our fifth episode and we look forward to carrying on the journey both on Instagram, LinkedIn, and where all good podcasts are listened to. Ciao everyone.